Hey, what's up, everybody? I am super excited for this upcoming interview with Amber Shaw. But before we dive in, I wanted to let you guys know that we do talk a little bit about her past eating disorder of bulimia. And if you have any kind of trigger to that or the discussion of eating disorders, then feel free to skip over that part. I just wanted to give you a little clarification there. But it's super powerful to improve your relationship with food, to talk about, to listen to her relationship food and where it was and now where it was and how she dug herself out of that. But I just wanted to give a little disclaimer before we dove in about that is a topic that we discuss in today's episode. Enjoy. How she was able to overcome her eating disorder, the keys to sustainable weight loss, how to abandon guilt and shame, how to not let perfectionism get the best of your eating habits, how much protein you need to be eating, the things that she eats on a regular basis to maximize her gut health, and so much more coming right up. This is episode number 453 with mind and body transformation expert and motivational speaker, Amber Shaw. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Best You Podcast with me, your host, Nick Carrier. At Best You, we exist to help individuals who are hungry for growth get closer to the best version of themselves so that they can live meaningful and impactful lives. One way that we do this is through the 10-week transformation program where we help people lose body fat, build muscle, and create healthy habits that they can build confidence in themselves. If you're interested in gaining motivation and having the accountability that you need to build healthy habits, then go to nickcarrier.com slash 10WT to get started today. Again, nickcarrier.com slash 10WT to get started today. Today, you guys are going to love getting to meet Amber Shaw. Amber is a mind and body transformation expert. She's the founder of the Wellness Revolution podcast, the motivational speaker, and internationally recognized authority in the health and wellness industry. Health and fitness have always really been a big part of her life, but not really in a healthy way. She started dieting at the age of 15, and then things progressed into her 20s where she found herself bulimic, hopeless, and hating herself even more. She really worked hard on herself to heal herself and to heal her eating disorder, but she entered her 30s, it went a different way. She gained around 65 pounds with both pregnancies, and she was just miserable. Post-pregnancy, she was over 210 pounds and wanted the weight off yesterday. She lost the weight very quickly, but it was extremely unhealthy, and she basically starved herself. And then she found a new way to be able to make weight loss sustainable, and that's what we're going to discuss today. In the podcast. But before diving into the episode, make sure you're subscribing to the Best You Podcast on the Apple Podcast app, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and make sure you share the episode with a friend or family member while you're listening. All you have to do is send them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast. And if you enjoy the show, then I would love it if you leave a five-star rating and review. But without further ado, here's to getting closer and closer to your best you with the one and only Amber Shaw. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Best You Podcast. Today, I am super excited because I know we're going to have an amazing, super valuable episode, a motivating episode with the one and only Amber Shaw. Amber, I just want to start off by saying thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm pumped to be here. (laughs) Very good, very good. All right, well, so the way I kind of want to start off is I know that 
back in when you were young and younger in your 20s and your 30s you had a number of different health struggles and you kind of went back and forth from trying some different things out and different levels of success but the first thing I want to kind of touch on is back in your 20s I know you had a little bit of an eating disorder and so I wanted to get your thoughts a little bit on your experience and how you kind of moved out of that eating disorder and, and what it takes to really change your relationship with food. Mm, God, that's such a great question. I can tell you that I didn't have the answers for that in my 20s. I, I the, the, the latter part of that question of how you change your relationship with food was really not something that I began to really discover for myself until I, after I hit 40. But in my 20s, yeah, I mean, I was bulimic. Um, I really kind of started my first diet at the age of 15 years old. Didn't even know I was doing a calorie restricted diet. I just knew that calories weren't good and I weren't, I wasn't supposed to have very many of them. Right. And so kind of this obsession with my body and the way that I looked and the scale and all of that really progressed into my 20s, where I found myself binging and purging on a regular basis, really over-exercising at the gym as well. And so I would say that at that time in my 20s, I was very fortunate to have, uh, to get outside help. I did have a therapist that helped me um, really, I, you know, stop the physical act of binging, but I realized that she didn't really heal the real root of what was going on. And the real root of what was going on was, yeah, it was my relationship with food and ultimately my relationship to myself uh, and the way that I viewed myself and my value and my self-worth and my, you know, constantly um, putting my my uh, self-worth on external things. And so I think to kind of answer your question on how do you start to heal your relationship with food, this is such a great question. And this is really kind of the core in which I teach sustainable weight loss is it really starts number one with getting rid of this idea that there's good foods and there's bad foods. Here's the deal food's food, right? Food is food and it is, and you have a choice of what you put into your body, but there, food isn't, isn't good and food isn't bad. And, and the danger of having that mentality, and this is really what happened to me at a young age, I think with, with, with the bulimia too, is that when you, when you associate this kind of food, this idea of food morality, right? Food, good and food versus bad, how it can start off is like, oh, well, if I eat that food's bad, if I eat that, right? But eventually what that turns into is, I ate that food, so now I'm bad, right? Like I'm bad for eating that. And a lot of, especially women, and I don't want to, you know, alienate the men here in this conversation because I know a lot of men struggle with food uh, relationship as well, but that's just a very dangerous way of thinking that, yes, when, you, when you're constantly just putting this kind of good and bad on food, then that can start to affect the way that you view yourself. So I definitely think that that's where it starts is getting rid of the idea of like kind of the food morality concept. Mm, I think that's key for sure. Not identifying as <laughs> like treating yourself as you are a bad person because of doing that. I think that's really key. I kind of want to go back to what you feel like maybe led you down the road of having of the eating disorder and having bulimia because I think there's probably going to be a lot of moms on here or listening right now who maybe have kids growing up and they're trying to figure out how to introduce the right relationship with food to their children and they want to make sure that they don't do anything that could potentially lead them down a negative road and so what is your message around maybe parents who are looking to introduce the proper relationship with food and kind of along the same lines of what what do you feel like maybe led you down that road 
Well, first of all, I would say with me and my own personal experience, you know, bulimia was, was not the, but my eating disorder was not the, the issue. It was a symptom, right? It was a symptom of the Mm. issue of really what was going on with me. And really what was going on with me is, and this is something I've done a lot of inner work on a lot of therapy on is I am, I, from, even from when I was a kid have a very uh, perfectionist type of personality. I am an all or nothing girl. I've always been that. I've always, I've always been kind of very black and white. Like I do everything. And I, I like what I do, I go hard. Right. And this is, this is the, this translated into all areas of my life. And so particularly with me, I think that the bulimia showed up as a result of this kind of perfectionist mentality, because it was a way when, when I would feel that I failed myself, with what I was supposed to be eating, right? When I was constantly like chasing, being on a diet and constantly like trying to eat perfectly, right? I think that when, um, the, the, for a perfectionist, failure is like the worst thing possible, right? I mean, it's, it can throw you into a mental tailspin. And so I can recognize now that I think for me, the bulimia was a way for me to get control when I felt out of control. And so I know, so I think, you know, parents that are listening to this and they're concerned about, you know, about possibly the situations like that with their children. I do think that, you know, food relationship, if we're just specifically talking about that and eating healthy foods, I think one of the biggest things is really teaching kids balance, right? It's teaching kids, not from a standpoint of you should ever from like weight loss or like you know, wanting to lose weight or gain weight or whatever that looks like. It's always teaching kids what foods to eat in order to be healthy. Because if you can, you you can identify as a healthy person, right? Like, and you're eating healthy foods because you want to, then usually this is what I tell even my women that are over 40, like weight loss is the byproduct, right? Or for your kids, like your kids are going to grow up being healthy and not overweight because they're making healthy choices. And so this is the same way that I teach my daughter with exercise, right? You exercise to be healthy because you are a healthy person that wants to make healthy choices. And so I think, I think that shifting the narrative around why we eat healthy foods and not Mm. making it ever about your weight or about physically and aesthetically the way you look, but by, but we want to eat healthy foods because what it's doing to us on the inside, because the outside is a direct reflection of our health on the inside. Right. I think that's a really important place to start. And the other piece of it, and I think particularly for parents of, of girls is is being very mindful of how you tear down yourself in front of your children, right? Mm. I come from the generation where my mom was constantly looking in the mirror in front of her, pulling apart, her, you know, picking apart her body, stepping on the scale. And as a 10-year-old little girl, I picked up on that message very early that, that uh, you know, that the bodies that we have are not good enough. And that for me translated to, unless I have the perfect body, I'm not good enough which led to the eating disorders, which led to a lifetime of dieting. So I think that's really just important. And this is the same for boys too. I, again, I don't want to say uh, that boys don't have body images issues either. They do. They just don't talk about it. And so I think it's just really important for your kids always leading from a place of health. And that's where the focus should be on. No, I, I think that's so good. You know, you talked about not being, not talking about nutrition or fitness through the lens of here's the outcome you're trying to get, but through the lens of here's the person you're trying to be. 
Yes, here's and absolutely. I mean, God, this is so much about. I'm sure I know. I'm sure you've read Atomic Habits with James Clear. This is exactly it. It's like we get so focused, you know, we get so stuck focusing on the goal that we don't focus on the process. And so, no wonder, like, once you hit your goal, if you don't have a process in place, no wonder why you keep reverting back, right? We got to focus on the process. And that's the way to make it. So yeah, so, so you know, making habits that you associate with a healthy person, you will be a healthy person. Your kids will grow up to be healthy kids, healthy adults. Yeah, I always try to tell people and try to work on myself. Anytime I, I set a goal, obviously I want to try to achieve the outcome that I set out for myself, but it's less about achieving the outcome and more about becoming the type of person. Absolutely, because the outcome will become the buy. The outcome will be the buy. Right. If you focus on the process, right? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Love that. Un- undoubtedly. And so you talked about something that so many people who are listening right now struggle with from the perfectionist mindset and the all or nothing mindset. So how did you start to break down maybe that perfectionist mindset and all or nothing mindset so that it didn't hold you back? And before I before I let you answer, I just I think that a lot of people Obviously, some people have more of a perfectionist tendency than than others, and it's hard to completely eliminate that, but it's acknowledging that you have it and knowing how it doesn't get the best of you that is really important. So how did you start to work around or through or break down the perfectionist all or nothing mindset? Yeah, I love that you said that because I always like to I always like to say, oh, I'm a recovering perfectionist. No, I'm not. I'm still a perfectionist, right? But I have just done a lot of inner work to where I can sort of recognize when I'm letting it get in my own way in a negative fashion. What I mean by that is as an entrepreneur, being a perfectionist can actually be a good thing. Like I have a tremendous amount of drive and I and I go in and that's why I've been successful. But at times, yeah, it can it can uh, hold you back, right? And so I think for me, the biggest thing was really learning to give myself some damn grace, right? Like I think sometimes we, especially like I know I can speak as a woman, like we are so hard on ourselves and very critical of ourselves. And so we kind of, we get it in our mind that, and this is true, I think not just for like our nutrition and like our like exercise and all of that, but it's like, we get in our head that if we can't do it perfect, then, then we've failed. Right. And I think that that's a, that's a big theme for a lot of women and for men. And so I think for me, It was first like creating, like you said, that level of awareness. Like I didn't have a lobotomy, right? Like I'm always going to be me. I'm always going to have that tendency, but it's about first. And then this is the first step in any change, right? Is creating that level of awareness and, and just being aware of like when, when you're starting to get in your own way. And I think that was really, really powerful for me is that level of awareness and then putting a lot of work into identifying my triggers, right? What are certain scenarios or situations or emotional responses or stressors that trigger this perfectionist tendency in me, right? So I think that even like with my business, I'll give you an example. It's like in the beginning when I first started doing like social media, I even like, you know, TikTok's a big platform for me. I, it would take me like a freaking hour to record like a 10 second video. I mean, it was insane. And I finally had to start like creating some boundaries for myself and like setting a timer and being like, okay, if the, whatever this video is after like 20 minutes or whatever it is, like that's what the video is. And you're just going to have to roll with it. And so I think what that process allowed me to do was I sort of forced myself 
to uh, give myself a little grace and and not require or demand such a level of perfection. And that was really helpful for me. It allowed me to like relax a little bit. And so I've kind of carried that into all, you know, all areas of my life of just being aware and understanding those triggers and then having the tools to like, you know, navigate through that so that I'm not getting in my own way. Yeah, I think a couple of things you said there would obviously give learning to give yourself grace. And we're going to touch a little bit more on that in a second. But I think like a really good strategy is sometimes perfectionists, they just continue to do something for an extended period of time. Like I think the strategy or the the thing that you did of setting a 20 minute timer and not giving yourself an hour and requiring yourself to stop at that time was really important and applicable to maybe a, a lot of people in their varying situations when it comes to their perfectionist tendencies. But when it comes to making yourself feel guilty and shaming yourself and giving yourself grace, talk to us a little bit about strategies that you've used and you've coached other people to use around how to be better about that. Obviously, again, it goes back to kind of like, you know, you know, being aware, right? I think it's so easy to get stuck in that like negative talk track. Obviously, that's usually the sequence of events for people is like they feel like, you know, maybe they they fell short or they didn't measure up or whatever, like whatever they didn't achieve perfection or whatever they're trying to do. And immediately that starts like the negative talk track in their head. Right. And, uh, you know, all, all of those thoughts that and those feelings that can come up for us. So, again, going back to kind of like the multi step process is like first, like obviously being aware. And then I think one of the most powerful like questions that I have learned through my own transformation that I teach my clients as well is when you start to go down that path of asking yourself, like, what's the evidence that what you're really thinking to yourself and that negative talk that you're saying to yourself, that statement, what's the evidence that that's really true, right? One of the most destructive things we can do to ourselves is believe and take every thought we have as truth. We have what, like 60 mm. to what, 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day or whatever that, whatever that statistic is. And for so many of us, we can get really stuck kind of in that spiral, especially if we feel like we've fallen short or, you know, didn't measure up or whatever. And we start, we kind of start going down. So we start going down the rabbit hole. And so I know for me, it, it was really learning how to get discerning on like what, what I was really feeling is really true. And what's the story I've created in mm -hmm. my head and given that thought power, when you can really learn to separate the two, I think that that does allow you to give a little bit of grace to yourself. And I think the other thing that's been really powerful is really also understanding like maybe where that thought comes from. So really understanding kind of like your origin story, right? I talk about this a lot with women when it comes to like the way the negative thoughts that we have about our bodies. And like when we look in the mirror and we have that negative thought, like, oh, you know, I, I look fat or I feel gross or like whatever. And the truth is, is it's like we were not born with those like thoughts, right? For so many of us, like uh, we, where those kinds of feelings or, or thoughts about ourselves can come up or sometimes based on like things that happened to us when we were kids, right? And so, and uh, through our childhood. And so I think that being able to recognize like when those negative thoughts come up, like being able to like recognize 
where those thoughts really originated from and when you started feeling that way, I think creates a level of compassion for yourself. You know, I always talk to little Amber, which is like my 10 year old self. Right. And then when you're able to kind of have, have, be able to look at the different parts, Gabby Bernstein talks a lot about this and, uh, you know, about having the, you know, the different recognizing different parts of yourself. Right. And so when you're able to recognize maybe where some of these things come from, it allows you to say to yourself, Oh, okay. You know what? That's why I think that way, or that's why I feel that way. And it just, it just gives yourself, it allows you to give yourself a little grace, a little compassion to, to recognize it and to maybe shift the narrative in your head. No doubt. No doubt. That's, that's really good. Just, I think a lot of people sometimes think that all the thoughts that they have are true because they had the thought, but it, oftentimes the thoughts are not true and, and they're coming from a place of having been ingrained in us at a, at a younger age when we were more susceptible to letting it influence our behavior moving forward. I want to kind of start into get a little bit more into some practical things. And one of the things I know you talk about a decent amount is our hunger hormone of ghrelin. And so for people who maybe have never heard that word before, give us a brief overview of what that is. And then maybe some things that a lot of people are doing that make it so that they are hungry more often than they actually should be. We'll be back to the interview in just a second, but first I wanted to share some words from a participant of the 10-week transformation. At Best You, we started running the 10WT back in January of 2020 and have since had 313 people and counting go through it. They've seen their bodies get stronger than ever before, they've seen the stubborn fat finally come off, and they've seen their habits dramatically improve. And honestly, more than anything, they've seen their self-confidence skyrocket. If you want to learn more about the 10-week transformation, then you can go to nickcarrier.com slash 10WT. That's nickcarrier.com slash the number 10WT. We'll get back to the show in just a second, but first, here's what they had to say. My name is Chris Goddard, and I joined Nick's 10-week program to challenge myself to make myself uh, a little better and, and perform at a higher level, uh, really in the weight room, so that I can you know, help others outside of the weight room. Yeah, the, the results of the program for me has been um, identifying smaller steps to make a bigger goal. By creating these smaller steps, I've been able to hold myself more accountable to get to that future goal that I'm, I'm wishing to get to at the end of the 10 weeks. Results have been, uh, you know, mixed bag because, you know, you live a human life, which you know, there's things that people throw at you that kind of draw you away from your goals during it, but it's all about trying to get back on track and and try to make the next week better and perform at a higher level. You should join the next 10 week program. Sure. Yeah. I would love to talk about that. I love getting kind of the, the, the tactical stuff when we talk about nutrition. So yeah, you know, I talk a lot about the hunger hormone ghrelin because I think for so many people, and especially this really goes back to a lot of like diet culture, we have like demonized our hunger. Right. And in fact, I, you know, even for myself, like I used to associate being hungry as like, I was doing really good on my diet because that most, most dieting plans leave you hungry all the time. Right. And it's most of them because you're under eating, but yeah, I think we kind of demonize like, like hunger. And so it's not necessarily a, a bad thing at all. It, it's your body talking to you. It's your metabolism talking to you. It's giving your, it's, it, you know, you're getting, um, you know, important biofeedback and that's important 
for a number of reasons. One, I, I always love to talk about this because I think that going back to that sort of that theme of giving yourself some grace, I love to educate people on maybe what could, what thing, what things are you doing or maybe not doing in your day that could be increasing your ghrelin so that people can give themselves a little grace and, and take the emotion. Because a lot of times when people are like overly hungry, which leads to snacking, then they feel bad about it because they feel like they're kind of blowing whatever diet they're doing or whatever. And I, I like to teach people like what's physically what's going on with them so that they can take the emotion out of it and just get clinical with it and get curious with it and be like, oh, okay, wait a minute. Here's kind of my mental checklist. I'm feeling really hungry now. I don't need to squash it down. I don't need to ignore the craving, which is what like diet culture teaches us. I'm going to like mindfully, uh, you know, honor my craving. But now we need to like figure out like maybe why this is. And so there's a number of reasons that a lot of people don't realize why you could be like snacky or have that increased ghrelin. So Ghrelin, again, like I said, is, is the, the hunger hormone. And so one of the biggest reasons or kind of one of the biggest um, ways that your ghrelin can increase and kind of lead to that mindless snacking or over snacking is by not getting enough sleep. So when you don't sleep, ghrelin, the hunger hormone goes up. And the satiety hormone leptin, it goes down. And so I always tell people, it's like, if you ever find like the day after, maybe you uh, didn't get enough sleep or you were like hungover or whatever, like you're a bottomless pit. Yeah, that's your body talking to you because your ghrelin's up and your leptin's down, right? So that that's that's a big one. Number one is sleep. Another one is stress. Like stress can also affect your hormones. So hormones really all work together. And so like when your cortisol is up, that absolutely can affect your blood sugar. It can affect, you know, your, your, your hunger hormones. Um, and, and so all of it, right. So that, that's another thing, like if you're overly stressed, another is if you are not getting enough protein, um, and good fats at every single meal. You know, protein is absolutely going to slow your digestive down. Digestion system down is going to like allow you to, um, you know, keep your blood sugar a little bit more stable. And so when we aren't um, getting enough protein in our diet and also like good fats, which will keep you more satisfied longer, keep your energy more stable, your cravings more stable. Um, that can be a result. You can be snacking, right? Another thing that can cause kind of the, just the, the hormones to go awry and cause you to eat a little bit more is um, if you are really fueling your day with more refined and processed carbohydrates, right? Like all of those are going to play a role um, in your blood sugar, which affects your insulin. And a lot of times, like when we eat those like highly processed, refined carbohydrates, that causes a big spike in our blood sugar, um, which when you come up, you're going to come down, which is going to cause that crash. And a lot of times too, when we get that afternoon crash or whatever that shows up during the day, that can also cause you to be more snacky, right? So always thinking about at each and every meal, kind of my, the centerpiece that I start every meal with is getting a protein source, good fat and veggies. And then from there, if I want to add a carbohydrate, I'm doing a more complex, less refined one. And that usually will set me up for success for the rest of the day. Now I want to do a little disclaimer. If you are a female listening to this, I, and it's that time of the month for you, or you're, you know, you're menopausal and you've got some hormonal issues going on that also can affect that snacky hunger craving. So, um, just, just be mindful of that as well. But yeah, there, there's so many reasons again, which is why we always need to be 
aware uh, and so that we can make some adjustments in our nutrition and figure out like what we need to adjust. No, and I think that's so critical. You know, you led the answer off with talking about how this is an important conversation as well when it's related to giving yourself grace because some so many times people are just hungry throughout the day and then they're snacking, they're snacking, they're snacking and they're mad at themselves. But it's really not because you didn't have discipline. It's just because you've gotten really crappy sleep over the last week or two. And so it's like if the knowledge of like, oh, the step for me moving forward isn't necessarily to be like a more disciplined better person. It's to just actually get some sleep. Absolutely. And this is goes back to really, I teach women and how I coach is really always getting to the root, like the root of what's going on. Right. So this would be a perfect example. Somebody comes to me and they're like, oh my gosh, I am like struggling with like, all I do is I'm a bottomless pit. I snack all day. And so all they're thinking about is I got to tighten up. I got to be more restrictive. I have to like, and really, like you just said, when you break it down, it's you need to sleep more. Like let's back it up because, and figure out what's really going on. So yeah, I think just really um, people understanding physiologically what's going on with their bodies allows them to make more empowered uh, and educated choices on what they need to tweak in their diet and not just running to like the next, you know, the next fad diet or whatever that is, which is where most of us go. Right. Right. Yeah. No, having that knowledge is, is critical. One of the things that you talked about is a healthy plate starts with essentially a healthy source of protein, a healthy source of fat, and then veggies. Talk to me a little bit about your, I know everybody's, a lot of different people's philosophy with protein is a little bit different. Tell me a little bit about your experience with yourself and your transformation and some of your experiences with your clients with regard to kind of both the quality and the quantity of protein that you traditionally might recommend for people? Yeah. So this is such a great question because, you know, I tell you what, in my twenties, this would have been a totally different conversation because I totally subscribed to like the bodybuilder, like mentality of like getting, I mean, I was eating like three chicken breasts and blah, and it's just, I mean, it was just really like for me as I, and I wasn't a competitor, I wasn't a competitor. So let me say this, I will say that I do believe that the rules for like, de- you know, depending on what your goals are, but the rules for like figure competitors, bodybuilders, like all of that, they are completely different from the normal person. The problem is, is that a lot of these like super hyper specific rules and number of grams and this and that, they, they get passed down from some of these more extreme versions of what people are trying to do to accomplish their goals. Like, so, and so what I mean by that is that for most people, if you are getting a, let's say, and I usually the kind of the, the deck of cards, I think is like, that's more like a four ounce source, you know, source of protein. I think that's a little low. I usually subscribe to kind of like the more four to six, which I always say, keep it simple. It's like an oversized palm size of protein, right? When you're getting protein at every meal around that size, which for most people, like a scoop of protein is 25 grams. For the average person, if you are averaging around 100 grams of protein a day, you're going to be okay. Right now, if your goal is to put on a bunch of size and you're really trying to gain muscle, like, yeah, you might need to up upgrade that, right? But I would say that 
you know, even kind of like the gram per pound of body weight, like that's still, that's still kind of like an, you know, an okay average. I even find that that could even be a little bit much though. Like I'm 150 pounds. I don't really need necessarily 150 grams of protein a day. I think that we can get so caught up. I'm not saying, let me backtrack a second. I'm not saying like there's, there's coaches out there saying like that, that's, you know, subscribe like specific grams of protein in the macro coaches out there. I'm not arguing that there are benefits and like a, an exact science to like identifying how much exact protein somebody needs. Right. I get all that. However, this is what I see happen more times than not. We as human beings are only capable of like adhering and holding in our brain so many damn rules. And when it comes to nutrition, sometimes we can get so caught up on all of these nuanced types of rules. Like I need to take apple cider vinegar. I need to drink X amount of ounces of water. I've got to get X amount of protein. Like we can get so bogged down. I can't eat. I, I got to do fasted cardio, like all the things we can get so bogged down that we really like just stop doing the big dial movers. And what I've found is that sustainable weight loss is really about being consistent most of the time with like the big dial movers over time. And so if you are somebody that you can handle, like still sticking to those big dial movers, like getting a sort of good source of protein and quality fats and, you know, minimizing the added sugars and just eating a relatively healthy diet, moving your body, getting enough water, like if you can, if you're okay to like subscribe to a specific grams of protein, then great, do it, right? But if you are somebody that keeps falling on and off the wagon, you can't stay consistent, stop trying to adhere to these like micro kind of rules and just stick with the big stuff and do it over time and you'll see results. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, 100%, 100%. I couldn't agree more. Everybody listens. The problem is, is that so many people listen to health, wellness, fitness, experts talk about the nuanced things that they're doing to take it to the next level because they're already at a really high level already. And so they think, oh, they're doing this and that. And so I should be doing this and that as well. But then meanwhile, they're eating a lot of processed and refined crap. Sure. Well, they're so worried about their fasted cardio, but they're getting five hours of sleep at night. Like, right. like stop, right? You're so worried. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you're so worried about counting your macros, but yeah, you're like, you're, you're on the weekends. You're, you're binging all weekend long because you've been so restrictive all week that like, yes, exactly. And I think that is the problem with diet culture is it's like, number one, we, I think that we do want the quick fix. So if we hear that, you know, Susie, the influencer is doing this to take it to the next level, then that must be, must be the secret, you know, or the magic pill there. Right. And it's really not, it's literally like get up every day, you know, move your body, get some protein at every meal, make it, you know, good quality protein. And again, on average, like when usually if you just can make it consistent and get it at every meal, which would probably end you up around 100 and 134, somewhere in there, grams of protein, you're going to be for most women, like right. it's, uh, it's going to be all right. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Talk to me a little bit about some specific food choices that you personally feel like you are always trying to get in on a weekly basis or a monthly basis and, and kind of why those are your most important food choices. Sure. I mean, outside of obviously like the basic macros, right? Like the, the protein, good fats and the veggies that we talked about, you know, um, one of the um, uh, big ones for me is getting in fermented foods. So I'm a big mm. fan of gut health. 
Uh, so yeah. really focusing on ideally, it would be great to get one to two servings of fermented foods every day. I'm not always perfect with that, but some examples of that would be like kimchi, like fermented veggies. You're going to find all of these like in the like usually the cold section, like the produce section. So they make like fermented, you know, pickles. It's not the same as like the, the state, the shelf pickles, uh, but like your fermented veggies, your kombuchas. Uh, and I'm a big fan of that because gut health is huge, right? I mean, when we're talking about just fighting off disease and reducing inflammation, we're talking about hormone balancing. I mean, the gut, we're really just scratching the surface on as far as in like the medical community and the health and wellness community is like the power of the gut, but it's just, it, it really does impact so much of our health. So for me, uh, taking probiotic, getting in fermented foods is really, really huge. I would say for me too, working in, and this isn't necessarily a, a, like a food per se, but something that I on a daily basis work in is definitely working in adaptogens. Um, so if you're listening to this, you're not familiar with adaptogens. Um, these are just, uh, these are basically naturally occurring plants that help our body adapt to stress better, whether that's emotional stress, that's environmental stress, or that's physical stress. And, you know, obviously we could go down a whole rabbit hole talking about adaptogens and stress and all of that. But I am a big fan of incorporating them um, into my, you know, my coffee and um, just throughout the day in my smoothie. And uh, the, one of the great things about adaptogens is you really can't overdo it. They, mm. because they don't have a negative impact on like your body's like processes. So they don't interfere. So adaptogens are another great thing that I love to incorporate. Mm. That's great. That's great. Now, those are obviously really good. like the probiotics. I think so many people need to understand a little bit about what that is because so many of us have really poor gut health and our gut microbiome is just filled with the bad bugs rather than the good bugs. So give us a little bit of, for people who are listening that are thinking that they might have, they might have some gut issues. What are some things that they can do to know if they do have gut issues and then what they can do to start to restore their gut issues. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, here's the thing that the signs of poor gut health can actually be endless and some that might yeah. people might think about, right? So for instance, the obvious one is yes, if you are having like digestive issues and that could be a dead giveaway, right? But what's important to know is that your kind of your, um, uh, your gut actually runs from your mouth all the way to the other end, right? It's not just your stomach. So that really is important to understand kind of like exactly what that looks like. And so um, number one, yes, definitely digestive issues. But number two, also, if you've got some hormone imbalances going on, what a lot of women don't realize is that um, there's a collection of bacteria in the gut called the estrobilome that actually plays a role in your estrogen. And so if you've got some hormone imbalances going on, that can be uh, that can be due to gut issues. Um, if you're somebody that's suffering from like anxiety or depression, um, I think it's like 90% of your serotonin is produced in the gut. And so that's the feel good feeling. Um, and so there, there, there's so much research now that shows that various like, you know, holistic protocols for people suffering with anxiety and depression is to really start healing their gut. Um, and to, and, and what I, and really when we talk about healing our gut, really what we're talking about is, yeah, is, as um, number one is getting that balance and you, I think you called it the good bugs and the bad bugs, right? We, we've got like, you know, billions of microorganisms in 
our gut. And it's primarily made of like, you know, good kind of the, the, the good bacteria and the bad bacteria. And when we get out of balance, when our gut gets out of balance, and there's a lot of things that can cause that. If you're somebody who suffers from a lot from high stress, um, that absolutely can disrupt your gut flora. If you are somebody who is constantly uh, eating a lot of like high sugar, highly processed foods, foods high in high and saturated fats, if you drink a lot of alcohol, um, all of these things can really start to disrupt that balance. And so we really want to strive to maintain that good balance. And the problem is, is not only can it manifest in some of the symptoms that I talked about, but also it can really break down and disrupt like your body's ability to, to synthesize and absorb nutrients from your food. So you could be eating all the kale in the world, but if you are, if your gut is a mess and you've got a lot of yeast growing in there, or like a lot of bad bacteria, you just might not be absorbing it the way that you, that you should. And long-term, that can start to manifest into disease and inflammation in the body. So when we talk about how to restore our gut health, right, uh, one of the best ways is definitely through taking a probiotic. Um, so a couple key things about probiotics is the, the whole purpose of probiotic is to give your body um, more of the good bacteria, to put more of the good bacteria in to the body. And now when you go to the store, you're probably going to see on the shelf, there's like, there, there's a whole price range associated with probiotics. And typically what that has to do with is the, the number of billions of like CFUs or like microorganisms in the product, right? Some have a matter of like 3 billion, some have up to like 50, a hundred. It can really range. Um, my, uh, obviously you always want to check with your doctor on like what works best for you, but my, I know my integrative physician, she recommends for women usually on the daily around 20 billion uh, CFU. So a pro probiotic that's providing 20 billion on the daily. And that's what I personally take. Um, so that you can obviously restore gut health through a supplement. Uh, and then another way is going back to the fermented foods and the kombucha. Usually the kind of the recommended, you know, amount is usually like one to two servings of those, but that would be a good way to restore that health. Uh, to restore that gut health. And then also like, yeah, watching your saturated fats and your alcohol and your sugar and all of that, uh, keeping an eye on that and sleeping. Yeah. Awesome. That's great stuff. Very, very specific that I know a lot of people will start to take action on because I feel like more and more people are hearing about all of the issues that can be going on with their gut and are probably experiencing some of the, the side effects from that poor gut health as well. But before I ask the last question here, Amber, I just want to acknowledge you for all the work that you've done on yourself, because it's clear that all the work that you've done with throughout your own transformation has led you to obviously not have just a better life yourself, but also help others create the life that they want to live as well. And I think that's one of the biggest things in getting closer to the best version of yourself is you don't just do it because it'll lead to a better life for you. You do it because it'll lead to a better life for those who enter your life as well, or maybe are already in your life. And you've done that at such a high level. So I just want to acknowledge you for that. You're so kind. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Of course. Well, I know you guys are super both like motivated and a lot more maybe informed and educated about some of the things that maybe you should do moving forward. First off, don't overcomplicate it. We talked about a lot of different things here, but try to get back to the simple big picture of eating real foods and like she had, like Amber had talked about, a good quality protein, fat, and veggie on your plate for most meals. But also make sure that you go follow her on Instagram at Miss Amber Shaw. 
and go to ambershaw.com as well to to learn more about her and, and interact because I know like like I said you got a lot of value from today so you're going to want to go learn more. Uh, is there anything else that people should any other place that people should go to learn more about you and support you? No, you know, I love I my, TikTok's a big platform of mine too, but it really Instagram is like my jam just because I feel like they've got the DM feature. I can connect with people easier. So yes, if anything I said resonated or you've got a question about something, send me a DM. Uh, it really is me and they're responding and I'm just at MS Amber Shaw. So Miss Amber Shaw, I would love to hear from you and chat. Great. Great. Well, Amber, the last question is, I think getting closer to the best version of yourself is a constant journey and a unique journey. I don't think that we ever actually get to that best version of ourselves, I think it's something that we're just constantly striving towards. And so the last question is for you personally, if there are three things that you could currently do or three things that you could currently work on to get closer to the best version of Amber Shaw that you could possibly be, then what are those three things that you could currently do or currently work on? Oh, that's a good one. Okay. You know, I would say for me, um, it is definitely getting a little bit more consistent with my quiet time in the morning. I, I kind of go through waves when I get really, really busy. I can uh, push that aside and there's so much value in having time to myself to, to collect my thoughts, to meditate, to hear my own voice and to read and all of that. So that's a really big thing for me. I think another thing is continuing to work on letting go of some imposter syndrome. I mm. think as an entrepreneur and as a figure in this space, you know, that can be very, very easy to fall into the trap. And I'm very transparent and open about that, that yeah, sometimes I can find myself comparing myself to this other coach or this other influencer and it, I'm human. It can go, you can, uh, you can go down the rabbit hole for sure. And I think the last thing, and this is absolutely something that I've been working on is creating more space in my day to where I'm not constantly bouncing from one thing to the next. I think mm. that sometimes doing too much can get in your way. So I know for me, um, when I constantly have, I'm not creating any buffer time, right? And it's like, I'm constantly like, I got to call here, then I got to kill here, then I got to do this, then I got to do this. And what's happening is, is that I am not allowing any space in my day to just be. And so when you operate like that all day long, that can kind of leak into the evening time. So then I find myself sometimes in this like nervous energy if I don't have something to do, because I'm just constantly so used to do, 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 then at night, then I, then I find myself in that nervous energy and not able to relax. So, um, so I just pretty much aired out all my therapy to you and your listeners. So there you have it. Yeah. That's what I'm personally working on with my own therapist. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, the, those were great. And you know, the last one I've had a guest on here before who I, I think if you may have even heard this before, but that we're human beings. We're not human doings. And so we need to f find some time to just be. And I'm like you, I'm due, I'm due to do all the time. And so need to find some of that extra space in the day to just kind of be. But Amber, that's all we got today. I know everybody got a lot of value from our conversation, is now motivated and now has some tools in their tool belt to be able to start taking action on so that they can have a better relationship with food, so that they can improve their gut health, so they can be a little bit easier on themselves and, and give themselves a little bit more grace. So I appreciate you bringing all that value today. But that's all we got. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Man, that episode was jam-packed. 
Make sure you guys share this with a friend or family member who is looking to improve their relationship with food and their relationship with health and fitness, maybe just in general. I know every single one of you know at least one person who is either trying to lose weight or has a poor relationship with food, so send them this. You have no idea how much it might be able to impact their lives in a positive way. And remember, don't let the perfectionist mindset get the best of you with nutrition. I know so many of you guys out there would categorize yourself as a perfectionist, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's a bad thing if it gets the best of you in the wrong ways, and so we want to make sure it doesn't get the best of you when it comes to nutrition. You want to acknowledge it, but realize that you don't have to be perfect in order to be healthy and in order to be successful, and realize that what you eat does not determine your self-worth. And also remember to take the appropriate steps to not let the hunger hormone of ghrelin be released more than necessary and also be sure to take appropriate action in optimizing your gut health. But for now, it's time. It's time to improve our relationship with food, to make sure that we're getting adequate sleep and adequate protein and to optimize our gut health because it's through doing these things that you will continue to get closer and closer to your best you. You.